1: Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.
2: Welcome back to the Sports Media Watch podcast. This is John Lewis along with Drew Lerner. If you're new to the podcast, uh, please stay a while and subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. The SMW Podcast feed is there. We've been doing this now for nearly a full year in this iteration of it. Uh, You can catch up on some old episodes. We've had plenty of guests, and we have a special guest today as well. I won't tell you who it is, although if you've clicked, I'm sure the description does already say who is the guest, but we'll still leave a little suspense nonetheless. Uh, What we'd like to do on here is talk about sports TV ratings and other news in the industry. We'll start with a little bit of ratings, but the real news is the Amazon Diamond Sports partnership that might be... Uh, coming to fruition. As reported Monday by the Wall Street Journal, Amazon and Diamond Sports, the operator of the Valley Sports RSNs, are in discussion on a streaming partnership that would result in the Diamond Sports RSNs being streamed through Prime Video. Now, obviously, after this year, after the 2024 baseball season, Diamond Sports is going to have no rights at all. All of their current agreements are going to expire, and uh, who knows? Maybe there's no inventory there. I think a lot of people, including Sinclair Broadcasting, the parent company of Diamond Sports, although Diamond Sports is completely independent of Sinclair, uh, believe that the intention is for Diamond to liquidate after giving up all of these rights. A potential deal with Amazon obviously changes that calculus tremendously because why liquidate if you've got Amazon as an investor? I think what you're going to see if this deal happens is a renewed interest in signing up with Diamond Sports, because now you have a distribution model that works. You're no longer trying to get people to sign up for Bally Sports Plus or whatever. You're getting people who already have Amazon Prime. You know, Amazon's in a great spot. Everybody else has to convince people to sign up for something they don't currently have. Well, nearly everybody has Prime, right? And right off the bat, you are in homes that are not interested in sports. This was the model for decades was to get into homes where the people inside do not actually care about sports. Now, of course, it's still different than cable because even cable required less active work to find the games than streaming does. But you're in a situation now where if your game is on Amazon Prime, all you gotta say is, hey, you've got Amazon Prime. Go to, go to Prime Video and watch the game. That's a, that's a big advantage. So obviously you're going from Diamond Sports RSNs are impossible to watch to Diamond Sports RSNs are really easy to watch. And I think Amazon has proven with Thursday Night Football that it can find a way to lure people in. Uh, Drew, I'll bring you in.
1: Yeah, John, you're completely right with uh, Amazon's partnership with Diamond. I mean, when we look at the hangup in the diamond sports deals with the leagues in the past couple of years, a lot of it has come down to the streaming rights. Uh, the leagues did not want to part way with the streaming rights and give them to diamond considering their standing as a business. And Amazon partnership totally changes the calculus of that. I do think it's a bit quick to say that it's going to be as easy um, for the, for the viewer, for the fan, as, as you make it out to be. People are already in the Amazon Prime ecosystem, but I would imagine in this type of deal, you'd be paying a premium to watch your local team streaming on Amazon. I don't think it's clear that you would just get that along with your Amazon Prime membership. That would be amazing for the fan. I just don't think that would be financially viable, but who knows? Um, <laughs> I mean, Amazon has a lot of money to throw around. If they want to jump into local sports and and really make a splash and and get a lot of uptake from, from the viewers, they could make it free for a while. But I think at some point they would have to start charging a premium for that.
2: Well, I don't know. I mean, that defeats the purpose. The, the whole purpose behind it is to make these games easier to access. And you know what? Bezos has a ton of money. You know, he's, he's pouring money down a pit with the Washington post, right? He doesn't care. It's all about finding a way to, you know, build that brand. And I think for Amazon, you know, to me to be a place where people know they have to go to watch their favorite team, you got, you got, you got your hooks into them. And if they're going to Amazon prime video, they're in the Amazon ecosystem. You're, Going ads in between the games for not just anything, but items that you're selling on Amazon.com. I don't know that Amazon would need to put it behind a higher tier. Now, of course, Amazon doesn't just send all their big ticket movies to people for free. You got to pay for them. So obviously, there's a model for it. But I I don't know. I mean, I I think if you're going to go through all the trouble of investing in this bankrupt organization, and that's the other thing, too, because Amazon could get local rights just doing a deal with the NBA. Instead, they're trying to get local rights by investing in diamond sports. Maybe that's where the savings are coming in, because they're not going to be, you know, spending all of this money themselves. They're going to be owning a, a majority stake probably in diamond. I mean, you know, maybe not a majority stake, but certainly a sizable one.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, that, that's a great point. Um, and you have to think about further leagues as well. This keeps kind of a dual revenue stream. You get the streaming rights from Amazon, and they're still gonna have the linear TV deal with the Diamond, with the, with the Bali Sports RSNs. So you're still maintaining um, that those, those two revenue streams, albeit when Bali and Diamond go to renegotiate with the distributors, it's going to be at a much lower rate considering that these games are so readily available on on an amazon streaming service but um to maintain at least some semblance of what you're getting from carriage fees and pay tv uh i mean that that's great for the leagues
2: yeah yeah i mean it's it's the ideal split you have to have some linear aspect the the world's not going to go everyone's going to go to streaming now granted with thursday night football we've seen you know, people are going to streaming. Unless Nielsen is out there doing some weird stuff behind everyone's backs or something, it seems that it's not hard for people to find these games. But certainly, there's still a lot of people who are dependent on, on linear. Kind of a good window here. I mean, I don't want to drop the Amazon diamond uh, topic so quickly, but it's a good window here to talk a little bit about the ratings for Thursday Night Football and the fact that Peacock is now going to be using nielsen for their exclusive, starting uh this saturday this saturday hard to believe uh they've got the the bills taken on the north Charleston low gators aka the la chargers and it's uh that's going to be the first ever nfl game carried exclusively on peacock now the new nfl media rights deal called for exclusive games on peacock and espn plus i think paramount plus too i'm not sure uh but uh you know Peacock's a little bit bigger than we thought when the deals were announced because they're going to do a playoff game this year. So what's going to be very interesting to me is to see if there's a difference in the ratings between games on Amazon Prime and games on Peacock. This is going back to what we're talking about. The ease of you already had a Prime subscription. I don't need to sign up for Prime to watch Thursday Night Football, right? I have Prime. I we'll have to sign up. Well, I I did sign up for Peacock knowing that these games are coming up during, over the Black Friday thing. But for a lot of other people who've never used Peacock before, they're going to have to sign up for Peacock. Uh, that's going to be very interesting. And I wonder how much of Amazon's success in the ratings for Thursday Night Football is Amazon-specific because they are ubiquitous in people's, uh, in people's lives, right? Uh, you know, Amazon's a far cry from where it was even five, ten years ago. It's indispensable, certainly after COVID. And uh Peacock is not. So that'll be very interesting to see the the ratings differential there.
1: Yeah, no, that that's going to be fascinating. And John, you probably have a better um grasp of, of what the number might actually be than than most. This seems like it has the potential to be like the lowest rated NFL game in a very, very long time. Would you happen to agree?
2: Well So obviously we've never had Nielsen-rated games on Peacock, but we all know NBC uses Adobe Analytics. So Eagles-Cowboys on Sunday Night Football the other day, 24 million viewers on uh, Nielsen, per Nielsen, on NBC, and then 2.3 million per Adobe Analytics. A lot of that's probably on Peacock. So if an NBC simulcast is capable of getting you 2.3 million viewers primarily on Peacock, and assuming that Adobe Analytics you know, way of measuring things is not overly generous, then I would assume that at worst, Peacock in an exclusive window could get you five, six, seven million, and you're not talking about record lows in that scenario. Uh, So I don't see that necessarily having record low potential, because again, the, the simulcasts on Peacock per Adobe Analytics have been getting to you know 1. 1.8 1. 1.9 2.3 million and obviously most people are watching that game on nbc not not on peacock
1: that should be an interesting uh window into actually how accurate those or at least how comparable to nielsen those adobe analytics numbers are uh it, i guess it is also this game will be competing with some of those you know europe games right Those nine thirty a.m windows uh so it, it should have the advantage there in terms yeah. of avoiding a record low all right john let's run through the week 15 nfl ratings real quick before we get to our interview here headlining the uh, the week 15 nfl ratings is dallas and buffalo that got 26.34 million on fox in the late afternoon window Um, Kansas City and New England in the early doubleheader window on Fox 16.4 and then Sunday Night Football without Adobe Analytics 16.3 million for Baltimore and Jacksonville anything notable here that that we should be taking a look at
2: not really Uh, Dallas Buffalo did great given it wasn't a very good game 26.34 million uh, up from Buffalo Kansas City the prior week a, a much closer game so I think uh if you're Fox you're very satisfied that's up in viewership down in ratings basically the exact same number some slight differentiation there but uh if you're Fox you're very pleased with the Kansas City New England number that game is flexed out of Monday night football and you know the Chiefs aren't very good right now so it was an, an unexpectedly competitive game uh and New England uh, you know kept pace uh 16.44 million second largest audience of the weekend Fox took the top 2 so uh, I think you're you're pleased if you're Fox. Uh, we'll see how that Monday night game did when the numbers come out. Uh, obviously, by Wednesday, when this podcast airs, we'll know what the Monday night number was, but we're taping Tuesday morning and have no idea. Uh, nothing too special from those Saturday games. Uh, Steelers, Colts, the most-watched game on NFL Network this year, topping uh, Dolphins, Chiefs, the London game uh, in, uh, I guess, October or whenever that was. You know, it is what it is. Ho-hum. Ho-hum week for the NFL. Uh, realistically. This is the big week coming up. Christmas, Ravens 49ers, they did a great job with the scheduling. Even the Giants-Eagles game that I thought was going to do so badly. Uh, well, not badly, but I thought it was going to be a dud. Obviously, Tommy DeVito has become a big star, right? Can you imagine an, an Illinois football player becoming a big star in the NFL? Uh, but uh, he's uh, you know certainly made the Giants more interesting. You know, some personality there. And uh you know the the NFL will have a great Christmas, and uh, maybe a good opportunity to sneak in since obviously we're not taping uh again before Christmas, and you know, uh, that's less than a week from now. Um, that NBA triple header is going to get just really beaten badly, obviously, because I mean, they would anyway. I mean, they're going to get beaten badly anyway, it's the NFL. but i'm I'm talking about relative to what the n b a typically does, losing to the NFL, contrary to what people on Twitter might think. There is no shame in that. But it's losing to the NFL and drawing numbers that are way below what you would typically earn that is the problem. If the NBA loses to the NFL and gets 11 million viewers, nobody's going to care. That's a great number. But I think the NBA is going to probably do pretty weak numbers coming up. Uh, I think Celtics Lakers is a great matchup. The Lakers had some momentum coming out of the in season tournament, but they've gone one in three since Indiana, by the way, also maybe one in four. So I don't know if that's an in-season tournament hangover or that the in-season tournament is not an actual reflection of who the best teams in the league are. Uh, I think if you're the league, you hope it's the former because the former can be fixed. Um, but, uh, you know, Lakers-Celtics, you know, could do okay. But, uh, you know, it's going to be a rough one because I think all three of the last year, the NFL served up, you know, garbage on Christmas Day. Uh, this year, unless these games turn out to be real dogs out of nowhere, there's no obvious dud on that Christmas Day lineup. Uh, even Raiders Chiefs, I mean the Raiders obviously they have to have some level of quality given what they just did to uh well, maybe the maybe the Chargers are just really bad. <laughs> but uh, long story short, I think uh if you're the NBA, uh this is not gonna be a great holiday in terms of the ratings.
1: Yeah. Hey, the way I look at this, John, and you know, I know we're a viewership podcast and we we care a lot about uh About that stuff, but man, as a fan, having all those options on Christmas Day, being able to flip back and forth between an NFL game and an NBA game—if one's a dud and the other's nice—we're just getting a little bit of both. In um, I I think for me that that has made the holiday more enjoyable. You know, I'm gonna miss not having the NFL next year in 2024 when Christmas falls on a Wednesday, but I personally am a fan of having both sports on on Christmas Day.
2: Yeah, and you make a good point. There is no NFL Christmas Day slate planned for next year. The NFL is greedy. The NFL loves sticking it to other sports, including college football, which is nuts to me. Next year is going to be interesting. I'm surprised they're not going to find a way to get a Tuesday game because you know during the COVID years, there were Tuesday games, not regularly, but oh, uh, was...
1: it would be Wednesday because the leap year.
2: Oh, right, the leap year, yeah, which yeah. is a bit tougher. Tuesday, yeah, there's I think no way they be... can do Wednesday. Yeah. They did Wednesday once because uh, of the presidential whatever, what was it, the DNC when Obama was oh, to get reelected. Interesting. Uh, uh, they, they did the Wednesday game because in 2008, they went up against John McCain's acceptance speech and got smoked. They got smoked that night by John McCain. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, so the, in twenty- I don't think that would
1: happen in today's day and age.
2: No, it wouldn't. I mean, maybe in 2016, I'm sorry, there's no way Joe Biden's acceptance speech or, or even Donald Trump's would cause the NFL to go running scared in 2024. Um, But uh, yeah, so they did do that one Wednesday game in 2012. Didn't do that great. I mean, it was, you know, 23 million viewers or whatever. If Out of Home had been around, who knows how many viewers it would have been in reality. But uh, yeah, if it's Wednesday next year, definitely no NFL Christmas games. Uh, And it'll be good for the NBA. If I'm the NBA, I'm putting the best Christmas lineup together because you only have that one year in this whole decade, where you get Christmas to yourself, okay. Uh, next year, the NBA uh, should should put every single great matchup it can on that day and just max it out, just uh, just to take advantage of the one Christmas they have to
1: themselves. Yeah, they they might as well put seven or eight games in, you know, have start playing at nine a.m.
2: <laughs> well, you know, I mean, actually, I I think the NBA could fit six games in there. I do.
1: Think of the viewership habits on you know, Christmas Day. Uh, people are up early anyway yep. to be with their families, open gifts, right? There's yeah. all, you know, it's, it's an early morning holiday for the most yeah, part. You could, put, you could put a game on there and you know, you people You could get would away with up a 10 a.m.
2: game. And that's what the NBA should be doing anyway with all this NFL competition. The NFL doesn't start till 1. You can sneak in a full game before mm-hmm. the NFL plays 1. It would obviously have to be East Coast. It's not every East Coast market that's going to show up at the arena at 10 a.m., but I think you could do it in New York. I think in New York you could do that. Uh, You know, Nets, Knicks, whatever, Celtics, Knicks, 10 a.m., and then you could sneak in six games because it's 10, 12, 30, 2, you know, 3, 5, 30, 8, and 10, 30, right? You could make that work. And I will say one other thing as far as the NBA's uh, future on Christmas it's not always going to be as bad as this year. This year is extra bad because ABC has the late game. So last year, the NBA actually was able to do pretty decently well on Christmas because all five games were airing on both ABC and ESPN. This year, you don't have that. Uh, And uh, I think if you were able to kind of take advantage of those morning windows uh, and also have ABC and ESPN combined, People will always take cheap shots. It's the NBA. A lot of people hate the NBA. A lot of people, you know, we won't get into the reasons why. Uh, But I look at how college basketball did college basketball lost head to head to the NFL on Thanksgiving, 41 million to five. But they got their largest audience for a regular season game in 15 years. That is what matters. And so for the NBA, if they can find a way not to compete with the NFL, but to draw some of its, you know, biggest audiences in years, or to at least draw some level of, 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 of large audience. I mean, even a dud Christmas is still going to produce the largest audiences of a regular season. If, if the NBA can do that, then, you know, there you go. All right. Well, now it is time for a great honor for this podcast. We've got a very special guest coming up, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. I hope you are as well. All right. Well, I am honored today to be joined by a living legend of sports media, someone who, if you have watched the NBA, Major League Baseball at their height in the 1990s, you're very familiar with Hannah Storm, uh, formerly of NBC Sports, but she's worked everywhere, including CNN, CBS for the early show, and now in year 15, hard to believe 15 years with ESPN. Uh, Hannah, is uh, ESPN, that's your longest tenured uh, uh, employer at this point, correct?
0: I know, it's crazy, right? And I've been everywhere. I think if you think, you know, ESPN, ABC, right? NBC, CBS, <laughs> CNN, <laughs> yep. all over the place. Yeah, but this mm-hmm. is definitely, definitely my longest. It's been great.
2: And uh, Houston's 97 Rock.
0: Yes. Thank you. See that? That's what made you know what? That's some homework right there. Yeah. I used to be actually started off on Corpus Christi as a heavy metal uh, DJ and went to Houston um, as a rock DJ, but also to do sports there full-time at 97 Rock and then did the Astros and the Rockets and then got my first full-time sports job in Charlotte. But at the time, it really was not popular to hire women to do sports. And so I wanted to get on the air. So I was like, all right, I'll get on the air. I'll spin records. And um, it wasn't too long before I found myself in uh, a great situation doing sports and morning and afternoon drive in Houston. So great time for the Rockets, the Stros, some championship series they were in. So it was great.
2: Yeah. Rockets in 86. And of course, you covered yeah. their two titles in the mid-90s right. BC as well. Yeah. Uh,
0: when Michael Jordan retired. Exactly. Yeah,
2: exactly. Those were uh, two special years for, for Houston, certainly. Um, I do think that's a good entryway into your mm-hmm. first role at CNN. Uh, CNN Sports Tonight. A lot of folks probably don't remember that CNN had a dedicated sports department uh, for a long time, and uh, you were part of that show. As you said, it was not popular to hire female uh, reporters at that time. I know you dealt with a lot of backlash in that uh, period of time. That was also just generally women trying to get into the locker rooms uh, and all of the uh, opposition to that. Can you just give us some background of what that era was like and 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 the The strength that it took to be able to withstand all of that?
0: The funny thing is, is that ESPN was our rival. So CNN and ESPN, we had shows on the same time we were both launching uh, in the cable space. So when you think about that, right, it's, it's, uh, it's a whole different era. Um, You know, it was a lot of work. Um, A lot of my shifts were like 11 at night to two in the morning. And Back in the day, we really didn't have, you know, email and such, but there was a lot. I did get a lot of hate mail uh, just from people who weren't used to seeing women talk about sports. Um, One of my favorite was from a guy who told me that I was mispronouncing Notre Dame. Um, and, uh, I, I wrote him back and, you know, he was like, you're, you're not saying it right. And I said, well, the, the commonly anglicized pronunciation of it is not Notre Dame. It is Notre Dame. Sincerely, Hannah, Storm, class of 83. So, (laughs) you know, you had to find some, had to find some humor in it, but, um, yeah, there was just a lot of, I would say not from the only from the audience, but sometimes from and not really from athletes so much as maybe some of the older people, sometimes managers and such like that, um, that were involved with different teams. Um, sometimes that was a really hard thing. Um, and and some athletes have had some pretty highly publicized incidents. Um you know later on at nbc um with different athletes you know probably albert bell at the top of that list um but you know i just developed a really thick skin i mean i also went to a college where there were like five guys to every female and that that kind of that kind of started um I'd say making me a little bit tougher. And then I really, really needed that um, in the business. So including like I was the first ever NFL sideline reporter. I mean, that was a really brutal year. Um, There were just a lot of people who didn't want us to be there, didn't want me to be there, and so forth. And, you know, it just, I mean, it's hard, but it also makes you more determined. Um, And I think, you know, later in life, it gives you a really good perspective for, you know, how lucky I am in terms of longevity to still be here. And, um, you know, be working and have a fantastic job and, you know, kind of having, having survived all that and also having it be a viable career option for young women. And that was always in my mind was like, if I don't succeed, if I don't keep going on, um, then it's just going to be that much harder for the next person coming along. So that was always first and and foremost in my mind.
2: And are things different now? I mean, they're obviously different,
0: but So when you were doing
2: Amazon Thursday Night Football, doing that with uh, Andrea Kramer, did you get any backlash at all? Well,
0: (laughs) yeah, they are different, certainly for certain roles. There are certain roles I think people still expect women to be in. um, uh, That does not include uh, two women calling NFL games. And so, you know, I was somewhat concerned about the backlash um, that, that we would have. And indeed, when Adam Schefter announced that, Andrea Kramer and I were going to do, you know, I was going to do play and she was going to be the analyst for Thursday Night Football on Amazon. Um, there was, you know, probably an equal measure. Um, some people were really excited because it was obviously a piece of history, but then there were also people who were, you know, kind of like stay in the kitchen and and much worse. So it was actually freeing to me because... I knew that there were gonna be people and I've always known this that that are bigoted and that are are hateful or are just plain ignorant and they're just not gonna like you anyway. So I mean you could go on and like do the best job possible and it would never actually change their mind because they feel that you don't belong there. And so for me, it was like, it was very freeing. Like I didn't, the pressure that I felt at Amazon for calling games for all those seasons, we called full seasons for four years, was the the pressure was that I would do a good enough job and Andrew do a good enough job that other women would get those opportunities. That, that was a pressure for me. The pressure wasn't like, oh, people are gonna hate me or call me out on social media for every mistake I make because I just knew that those people weren't gonna like me anyway, regardless of <laughs> if I did a good job or not.
2: I think, you know, when you think about the opportunities that women have now, it is different from when you were starting. I know you did play-by-play when uh, the WNBA came out back in 97. Right. Uh, yes, but... I got an
0: ulcer that summer. Totally.
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, that was
0: hard. Yeah, I mean, the WNBA was a new league. I had just had a baby. Um, oh my gosh, I had never done play-by-play, so I didn't mean to interrupt your question, but yeah, that was stressful.
2: No, I mean, I'd, I'd love for you to go into more detail. I mean, what was that circumstance like? Were you expecting to get that role? Did you lobby for
0: it? No, I did not lobby. No, Dick Ebersol said you are doing it. Um, and I do commend him for that. Um, I broke so much ground because of his vision at NBC. Um, obviously I was the first woman to ever host major league sports, um, broadcast for a season, you know, doing not only baseball, the baseball network world series, but also obviously the NBA, which you and so many other people associate me with, I mean, those kind of roles that just hadn't been done. Women had not done, had those kind of prominent hosting roles. So that was, and I also Notre Dame football, um, but I mean that was that was really I thought his vision and everything to see me as a host as an anchor um was, you know it was it was great and it set the standard for so many other women to follow. um, and he what said, you are doing play by play for. wnba this is a women's league and you need to be the voice of it and so again you know there are things like doing play-by-play for the nfl that year play-by-play i mentioned i I got an ulcer uh that are way out of your comfort zone you know things that you haven't done before and the biggest piece of advice i give people is you've got to do that you have got to take a chance um you've got to take risks on yourself you've got to do things that, that you haven't done because there are opportunities out there that you may never have thought of. And those are two great examples. And that's the key to longevity is having that kind of open mind is also being able to just put yourself out there and understanding that you're not perfect. And I think that that was really hard for me because I did get early on in my career so much, you know, like I said hate mail like every time I made a mistake, you know, I was afraid to make a mistake. I was like afraid to not be perfect. And that's a hard way to play a football game. It's a hard way to be a broadcaster. It's a hard way to do anything is trying to be perfect all the time uh, because you don't want to be criticized. Um, And eventually, you know, through my years at CNN, I really let go of that, you know, when I really understood it was just more important to be myself. And also, you know, to work as hard as humanly possible, obviously to do as good a job as possible by understanding that you were never going to be perfect and not everyone was going to like you, not by a long shot
2: when you're talking about those mid nineties years and you, you know, Bob Costas is doing the NBA studio for years, then he's off. He does. uh, I I guess it was uh, from the Olympics. He needed to take a break. Now you're doing the studio NBA showtime, 1997 NBA finals, Michael Jordan. This is one of the most watched finals to this day. Yeah. You are Uh, correct. Yeah. And uh, what was that experience like? That's, that's not it's not quite the Super Bowl, but like Jordan level NBA Finals is pretty close,
0: yeah. And I had I think I, I had the benefit um before that of doing all the regular season hosting on um on the NBA and having, you know, we had triple headers. I don't know if you know, a lot of people, you remember that. not everybody does, but we we were the only place you could watch basketball. and we would do five games a weekend. So do you know, double header one day, triple header the next day. Um, that was a lot of basketball. It really was. And I also did, then when Bob would come and do the playoffs, I would do the sidelines for the Western Conference. So I had a lot of sideline experience. I knew a lot of the coaches, the players. Um, I really knew the league really, really well. So I think by the time it came to hosting finals and having those huge roles, I was just so comfortable in it. And you know, I grew up in basketball. My dad was a commissioner of the ABA um I have a podcast now that's launching um with iHeart and the NBA um and that will be launching um sometime right around the All-Star game of NBA DNA you know my DNA like through the years through the ABA the NBA the WNBA back now at ESPN you know covering the WNBA and the NBA I mean it's 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 pretty cool to have you know kind of grown up around hoops and then, uh, and then be able to manifest that as a pro. I mean, it's a really, really unusual story. Um, but sure I get nervous. I mean, I was nervous. Um, but you know what it's, it's like players say, you know, once the game starts, you know, you're okay. Like once the show starts, like it's television. Right. Yeah. And, um, we had, we had just incredible producers and, uh, it was a really fun time. I, I just think that was such a special time in NBA history for so many reasons. Um, the parody, the stars, Michael was everything. And then even when he left in those two years with the Rockets and and all the other teams that were in contention out East. And then when he came back, it was like a whole nother layer. So I feel really, really fortunate to um, have broadcast, you know, the majority of his career and been there for many of his great moments.
2: Well, as long as we're talking about comfort zones, exiting the comfort zone, NBC loses the rights in 2002, a lot of the Mm -hmm. folks ended up going to ESPN to TNT, you Mm -hmm. went to CBS and you did the early show. Yeah, I went to news. Yeah, that's an interesting era too, very acrimonious, Warner Act, a lot of stuff's going on. What was that experience like? What motivated you to go from sports to news? And uh, would you, you know, obviously you're back in sports, so right. I and you prefer sports.
0: Well, I don't know. I loved morning television. Um, When I was, you know, in college and I was working in sports radio and our local sports, you know, TV station in South Bend, you know, when I looked on television, there weren't women doing sports on television, but there were women covering the Olympics And the women that were covering the Olympics were the morning show hosts on the network. So the networks would send, you know, Jane Pauly or Kathleen Sullivan because they would send their morning teams to the Olympics. So I had a dual career goals at that point when I was young, coming out of college. I wanted to broadcast an Olympics, which I ended up doing four, and I wanted to do morning television at some point. And so it just so happened too that because I was a mother, I am a mother, but I was a very young mother at the time. I have always sort of looked at my kids, look at their situation, look at what age they are and kind of worked backwards for me for jobs. Like what what is gonna give me the maximum amount of time home? So I decided when NBC was all those things, losing all those sports properties um, and they offered me to stay just to do the Olympics, I was like, no, I wanna work full time. I've always wanted to do morning TV and my kids are gonna be in school, I only looked at morning jobs, that was it, for years. I only looked at morning jobs so I could be there for their games and when they got home from school and be there on weekends and so forth. And so I, it really was perfect. So I was considering going to a show called The View at the time, which has still been a very long running successful show, or going to CBS. Meredith Vieira was also being considered for both jobs. She went to The View, I went to CBS. Um, it was an incredible experience. I met so many, you know, chefs, actors, um, politicians, um, you know, I mean, you name it and musicians. And I still, you know, I'm friends with a lot of those people to this day. It was it was a great experience and a lot of big sports figures rolled through as well. Um, but sports was a great background for it because I knew how to ad lib. I knew how to think on my feet. And all those things are like really invaluable in morning TV. It was it was a great experience.
2: The whole issue of having to cover those serious stories, though, I mean, it's very especially yeah. sports right. Um, right. you know, was yeah. that something yeah. you know, it's it's got to be a bit of a downer,
0: um, well, I mean, I do think covering wars is difficult. Um, we covered a lot of uh, heavy duty, you know, kind of tragic, um, you know, tr- it was kind of the era of trials, right? So if you're looking at like the Lacey Peterson case, you know, Natalie Holloway, so those things are really sad. Um, we covered, um, you know, hurricane Katrina. I mean, just absolutely devastating. Um, you know, I did one of cool things, you know, I was at the white house. I did one of Barack Obama's first national interviews. I mean, a lot of, we did a lot of cool, like political stuff in that way, but I would say wars, it, it's just devastating to cover, you know, the Gulf war, which we thought, and we're told this is going to be over very quickly you know shock and awe and of course we all know what happened and just talking to people who have lost their children and and lost their family members was just devastating and i found that to be the saddest thing that i really had trouble not taking home because um i just think talking to people who've lost loved ones is is really really it's just absolutely gutting and devastating and my thing going into all those kinds of interviews which i had done some in the sports world as well you know what i mean and i did a documentary with Payne stewart's widow and I interviewed bobby phil's widow and and you know very sad thing i hosted kobe's funeral you know i mean there have been times when you're in i, I was on the set when stewart scott died and was on the set for three hours afterwards your your thought is always um I want to do the family justice with this interview. I want to, that is my only thought, you know, my overriding thought. So the pressure and the burden of doing that is something that you, is taxing and it's something that you take home with you. And it's, it's, uh, it's very, very difficult.
2: You know, kind of going off of that, uh, some of the serious stories you recently did, and I believe it was an e 60 with, uh, David and Joku, the Cleveland yes. Burns player who mm-hmm. dealt with uh, some, so, uh, you know, he was burned when he was mm-hmm. working on a fire pit. You obviously have dealt with, as many people know, very similar yeah. situation. When yeah. you're doing that interview, you know, one, you are part of the story because you're bringing in your personal experience. And what was that experience like to, to, to kind of be that vulnerable, be that open about uh, something that's happened to you while also doing justice to... The the story.
0: Well, one of the things that's tough when you have an accident, right? And I had a grill blow up in my face, and he had a, a fire pit, basically the very similar accident with the fire pit. Is that you're like, you know, part of you is like, well, if I'd been more careful, this wouldn't have happened, right? So part of it is embarrassing, right? Um, which and there were things I didn't know about fire safety, and neither did he, and that's why we had our accidents. Um, but um, the other thing is being vulnerable enough to not only at the time i shared all the pictures of me and myself looking disfigured on social media and he did the same thing and i think that you know in this day and age when we're always like looking perfect all the time um it does take you know you have to have a a a reason to do that and i wanted to do that because i wanted to show people just how dangerous this can be you know and how to properly You know, not reignite a grill in cold weather, and how to you know wait the proper amount of time before the propane dissipates in the air, and all those kinds of things that are like so important. And I would say it was very difficult to do that story um, for me in a way because I relived the trauma of that grill accident a decade ago. Um, At the same time, um, I wanted to do it because every chance I I get, I try to promote safety in that regard and you know it is cold weather right now and it people are having fire pits and they're grilling outside and they're tailgating and i just wanted people to know and understand you know just how dangerous and serious that can be
2: i wanted to bring up the yeah. uh rose parade because that's coming yeah up.
0: definitely yeah. well that was like i i actually what when i had my grill accident the one thing that kept me going was I was like, I have the Rose Parade. I have the Rose Parade. I have the Rose Parade. I really want to do the Rose Parade. I really want to do the Rose Parade. So like, I think anytime something serious like that happens to you, you have to have a goal. You have to have something you want to work your way back to, right? Whether it's David and Joku, like I've got to play in this division game, you know, or with me, I was like, I really want to be on the Rose Parade, you know, and that was sort of my, I probably pushed it too hard to do that, but I really, really Wanted to do that. It was New Year's Day, and I was like, "I'm going to get there and do it." And I did it with like my hands bandaged, and I had to, you know, I lost a bunch of my hair. I had to have fake hair and draw in my eyebrows and all that. But you know, I did do it, and it it felt uh, it felt really good, like a a triumph to be able to do that.
2: Yeah, and of course, you're doing that again this year, Kevin. That's right.
0: Yes, Uh, he's my fifth different host. I I don't know why I keep coming back to the Rose Parade, but. Kevin Nagandi is the best. He um, he and I hosted SportsCenter during the day for a really long time. Um, you know, we were partners for years. And so for us to get the chance to work together, because we don't work the same shift anymore, you know, once in a while we get to work together, but to do the Rose Parade is going to be an absolute blast. It's so cool to see up front and see, you know, just the work, the time, the volunteerism that goes into it and, you know, mostly the tradition you know, and people sleep overnight in the streets of Pasadena and they get up and go to the parade. There's all these cute little kids there. It's going to be Michigan, Alabama, all their fans are going to be going crazy. The bands will be there. And uh, it's, it's, it's really, really a special event.
2: All right. And uh, one quick final question. You've worked so many events from the Rose Parade to the NBA (laughs) finals. What have you not worked yet in your career that you would love to get a chance to do?
0: What have I not worked yet in my career? Oh, the masters. Mm. Yeah, I would say. Mm. Yeah, the masters. That's, That's one thing I've never done. I've never even been there. My husband is a golf host um on NBC um Dan Hicks he's been there forever and so they don't have the Masters so every year Dan and I <laughs> sit around and watch the Masters and yeah that's one thing maybe someday you never know it's good to have those goals though but that see that's another to, tr- you know I've done Wimbledon like a lot of really cool the New York Marathon like these kind of iconic like sports events that happen um but but never the Masters so that would be cool
2: yeah well you heard it here you first. Never know. Yeah, Jimmy <laughs> Picharo, make sure Hannah Storm gets to do the Masters in April. Why not? I think that'd be pretty fun.
0: Someday, yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah.
2: All right, hey, thank you so much. I appreciate it, uh deeply. You were the person who taught me the word pivotal. You were always saying oh, pivotal. Oh yes. <laughs> You're always pivotal. saying pivotal. Game three, pivotal game four. So I'm like it's five or six favorites. years old. Uh, that oh, that's great.
0: That so you actually used the word pivotal when you were five or six. Everybody thought oh. you were
2: so smart and you were like watching sports. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of my first words was "Polynes." olden polonise. Oh her.
0: my gosh. That's yeah. cool. I, I love NBA that.
2: Back then. But uh, wow. like I said, incredibly cool to be able to welcome Hannah Storm onto this podcast. And thank you so much.
0: Same. Hey, you were you're magnificent. I really appreciate it. Thank you for being like just so knowing your history and understanding and um, all your thoughtful questions. I appreciate it. Let's do it again sometime. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, Absolutely. cool. All
2: right. Thanks again. All right. Well, that wraps up this edition of the SMW podcast. Thanks for listening. As always, we'll be back with a new episode next week. Uh, it won't be up to the minute because we're going to pre-tape it. But uh, nonetheless, there will be an episode next week after Christmas, so stay tuned for that. In the meantime, enjoy the holiday, and uh, that'll do it for us.